Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. Come with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. We are in between sermon series right now, but don't let that lower your expectations. I promise you today you will be well fed. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 says this, It is because of Him, Him there is the Father, God the Father, it is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. What do you mean, Paul? Well, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So we've dubbed today Neighborhood Group Sunday for lack of a better term. I'm sure we could have come up with a more creative name, but we like to keep things simple around here. So today is Neighborhood Group Sunday, and, and we have an unapologetic mission to help you, every single one of us in this room, to take a step into truly being connected into the fellowship and the community of this church, because life change happens in that context. And honestly, we're not interested in you staying the same. Just as I hope you are not interested in myself staying the same either. We all want to see one another grow and mature in Christ. And so neighborhood groups are a huge part of that. And so today I want to, uh, well, Sarah brought the fun and the excitement around neighborhood groups. I want to maybe bring just some theological depth for us uh, in this area so that you understand how very important the church is to your growth in Christ. And so the title of the message is this, the hope is in his body. The hope is in his body. At least that was the edit that I gave them. Yes, they made it. I edited the title like right before worship started. So love you guys, production graphics team. Y'all are awesome. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you have to obey and you know, you know that you're hearing from him if the production team is able to do what it is that you want. So uh, today's message will be a little bit on the, on the deeper side, so let me just encourage you, if you're texting or on Instagram or anything right now, just put your phone down, and let's, let's be like really in, in this, because if you, if you miss a sentence, you'll miss the whole thing. So, can we, you, yeah, you guys don't have 12-minute attention spans, right? We're, okay, good. The hope is in his body, and the hope that I have in mind is the hope of holiness, which is the hope... That all of us should have. Why? Because point number one, holiness is actually what you want most. Holiness is what you want most. And today's message will be successful in part if I can get you excited about holiness. To refer back to our Healthy Start series in, in January, if I can help you to see that what you really want is to be holy. It will be fully successful if I can help you see how your connection to the body of Christ, that is a physical, connected community of Christians following Jesus together, how that is essential to your holiness. Which is to say that our aim today is that we would passionately, joyfully embrace the truth that our only hope of holiness is in our connection to Jesus. And that our connection to Jesus is hopelessly brittle perhaps even only existing in the abstract if it is not grounded in our connection to the church. Now, our hope of holiness will only matter to us once we realize that holiness is indeed the greatest need that we have. 
All of life is impacted by either the presence or the absence of holiness. Life is better holy. Most of the things in our lives that we do not like is because of a deficiency or a lack of holiness. Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, this is the will of God. Now, how many know when the Bible says this is God's will, you should pay attention? Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, which is another synonym for holiness. Now, on that verse, John Stott, very famous Bible scholar, said that within a few weeks or months, Paul had taught the young Thessalonian converts not only the essence of the good news, but also the essence of the good life. And the essence of the good life is holiness. Why? Because holiness is the kind of life that overflows in life. In other words, when holiness is present, it does not just produce life unto the entity. Holiness overflows in life. You see, because holiness is not an abstract thing. Holiness is godliness. It's the word that God uses of himself to describe who he is, to describe his life. God says, I am holy. And so the holiness of God is the summation of who he is. Both in the fact that he is without defect, he is without flaw, and the fact that he is with perfection. He is with perfect love. He is with victorious joy. He is with perfect peace. So he is flawless, and he is the presence of goodness and beauty and truth, and that is what makes God uniquely holy, and his holiness is what overflows in life for the world. So creation, the existence of creation comes out of the holy life of God. So for you and I to be holy is to be consecrated to God and to share in his life. In the language of Genesis, to make it really concrete, it is to bear his image. That's holiness. And in that Genesis context, we see then that holiness has a very clear intended outcome. And that outcome is Eden everywhere. That when you and I are holy, the outcome is fruitfulness. It's growth. It's multiplication. It's flourishing. It's the proper exercise of dominion over creation, which yields beautiful results unto God's glory. It's righteous relationship amongst mankind and between men and women. The outcome of holiness is nothing less than the Garden of Eden spreading throughout the earth at the hands of the humans who were entrusted with that task. To say it so simply, holiness produces life. If there is anything in this life that is even remotely worth loving and valuing and nurturing... It is because it followed on the footsteps of even the feeblest attempt of holiness and bearing God's image. Proverbs 12, 28 says it this way, that in the way of righteousness there is life. Along that path is immortality. Now the point of a proverb is to tell us how life generally works. Proverbs are principles, they're not promises. And what this proverb is saying is that generally speaking, even in our corrupted state, even though humanity and creation has been marred by sin, even still, generally speaking, when we live rightly, that produces life. And that is over and against sin and wickedness, which produces death and decay. Now, this is empirically evident to you. But even when somebody who does not know the Lord tries to live kind of, sort of, rightly, things go better for them than if they live with unapologetic wickedness and sin. How much more 
Will life be the outcome when we're not just kind of sort of living rightly, but when we receive the free gift of holiness that is given to us in Jesus Christ? And if holiness is the seedbed of a flourishing and fruitful life, then I can confidently say that holiness is your greatest need. Some of you are frustrated by the state of your friendships. You have need of holiness. Some of you married people are dissatisfied with your covenant relationship to your spouse. You have need of holiness. Some of you have been unsuccessful in stewarding a healthy financial life. You have need of holiness. Some of you are plagued by unnecessary fear. You have need of holiness. Some of you keep circling the same drain of the same sins. You have need of holiness. Some of us are eaten up with feelings of despair or bitterness or envy or unforgiveness. We have need of holiness. Holiness is the key to a truly fruitful life because holiness is to participate through Christ in the life of God, which overflows in life. And so if holiness is our greatest need, then the question then is, how do I be holy? And as I said at the start, our only hope of holiness is in connection to Christ. And inseparable from that, our connection to his church. So let me break that down for us just a bit so that that truth, which we understand intellectually, really illuminates our hearts. To say that holiness is the key to a truly fruitful life is to say that Jesus is the key to a truly fruitful life. It is to say that we have need of Jesus. And this, of course, is because why? Well, it's this. Jesus is holy. And Jesus is holy not just in the sense that he bears the image of God. Jesus is holy in the sense that he is the image of God. Hebrews says that he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So Jesus isn't just another mirror that reflects the light of God's glory. Jesus is the light of God's glory. And then by becoming human through his incarnation so that now he is fully God and fully man, he has also recovered man's task of bearing God's image faithfully and successfully. Which means that Jesus Christ is holy in two senses. First, that he is God. And second, that he became a man and totally sanctified himself, consecrated himself unto God. Jesus himself prays in John 17, 19, for them, for the disciples, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Now the sanctification of Christ is the entirety of his obedient life. From, from womb to tomb, Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father the entire time culminating in his obedient death on the cross. That is how Jesus sanctified. He set himself apart as perfectly holy so that in him, you and I could also share in that sanctification. C.S. Lewis said it like this, that the Son of God became a man so that men could become sons of God. When you and I were joined to Jesus Christ, and perhaps some of you here today, you are not joined to Christ. You grew up with the religion, you said the prayers, some, your mom gave you money to put in the offering plate, you sang the hymns, you did the whole thing, but you yourself are not joined to Jesus. But when you get joined to him by faith, by trust in him, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it brings you into his holiness. So that you are like a branch connected to a vine. And you are, you are abiding in God in flesh, God with a body. So that the life of God that redeemed the human body actually redeems your mind and redeems your body. 
redeems your thoughts and redeems your words and deeds. Christ becomes your life because Christ is the life of the church. And his holy life actually overflows in life for us. So the areas of our life that are marred by dysfunction actually begin to flourish and to be fruitful and you are transformed. Now the level to which I experience that and you experience that only comes down to how devoted I am to doing what Jesus said in John 15, 5. He said, I am divine. This is who I am. You are the branches. That is who you are. If you remain in me and I in you, you will, not might, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, our sin nature goes far deeper than we realize. And we sin more often than we think. I know sometimes we get to the end of a day and be like, I feel like I did pretty good today. <laughs> I didn't blatantly curse at anybody on the 405. I wanted to flip the bird, but I didn't. That's just me. You guys don't do that. But, but we sin more than we realize. We hold grudges that fester beneath the surface and they only come above the surface when we see that person in the coffee shop. Like, oh shoot, I forgot I hate them. <laughs> and apart from Christ, that will never change about you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But in Christ, holiness is the free gift that you receive. And that is wonderful news because God's holiness is not an abstract thing. It is life that overflows in creation and the sustenance of that creation. So that when you participate in his holiness, it produces in you life that overflows as well. Thanks be to God that he sent his son so that we could receive that holiness. And that holiness is in Christ, which is why, hear me, that holiness is not just God's command of you. Holiness is God's promise to you. He has promised you holiness. Look again at 1 Corinthians 1.30, the verse we, we began with. It's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. Jesus Christ is our holiness. And that is true in a very real sense. When he took on human flesh and overcame all sin and successfully obeyed the Father throughout his 33 years, culminating in the cross, what he achieved in that span of time was your holiness. So that by being joined to him, his holiness becomes yours. And this is why Paul can say in this verse that Christ is not just one who stands apart from us and sanctifies us with soap and sponge by giving us a bath. No, it's quite a bit better than that. He says, no, he is our sanctification. He is our holiness. And this is the part of the gospel that we often miss. Because we know that in Christ we are declared righteous. We know that we are declared forgiven of our sin, that our guilt before God is, clear, is cleared. So there's a legal declaration there. But then we miss that the gift of God doesn't stop at being declared righteous. It carries on into being made holy. There is an inward transformation. You see, in the sin of Adam, you and I inherited at least two things. Guilt and corruption. In Adam, we are made guilty. How? How? is a whole nother message. 
But we are. Romans 5. But we don't just get Adam's guilt. We get Adam's corruption. And you don't need a sermon on that. Just look at the world. This is the doctrine of original sin. And it is the only doctrine in the church that should be empirically evident to everybody. So in Adam we get guilt and we get corruption. What means that the the solution in Jesus must also then be twofold. At least. And it is. In that we are justified. The New Testament says. That is you are declared righteous. You are forgiven. Your guilt is gone. But also you are sanctified. That is you are raised to newness of life. It's not just a legal declaration about you that you now live up to. In Jesus Christ, you have been inwardly transformed. You have been made holy so that in Christ, God doesn't just deal with your legal guilt. He deals with your sinful nature. In every other religion, the logic is that sanctification, holiness, leads to justification. If I succeed at being holy, then that will lead to me being declared righteous. That is true of every ancient religion throughout history down to the modern-day Western religion of postmodernism. And they all have their own versions of sin and salvation. And it always comes down to earning and deserving. But in Christ, at one time, I am both justified and sanctified. And that is even better than most of our best understandings of the gospel. Because most of our understandings of the gospel is that what other religions get backwards, Christianity gets right way round. So that it's not sanctification that earns justification, but it is that justification now demands my sanctification. And this is why we are stunted in becoming holy. Because at best, what we can come up with in regards to our holiness is that it's the least we could try to give God to say, thank you for forgiving me. Which, of course, we frequently fail in that endeavor and condemn ourselves. This is how a lot of us think. A lot of us think that justification is what I receive and holiness is how I respond. God forgave me, so I better do my best to appropriately thank him by trying not to sin anymore. And so holiness becomes merely a debt of gratitude that you owe him. It becomes a work of the flesh instead of a work of the spirit. Holiness goes from something that I receive by participating in Christ to something that I achieve by doing my best to imitate Christ. And while imitating Christ is a worthwhile endeavor, it stops far short of God's promise to you. The good news of Jesus Christ is quite quite a bit better than do your best to copy me. The gospel is this in Romans 8, 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That you and I would be conformed to the image of Jesus. What's the image of Jesus? It's the perfect representation of the Father from God to us, and it's also man perfectly faithful to God. We'd be conformed to to his image so that his holiness becomes our holiness. And God has predetermined that he would do that for all those who are in Christ. If you abide in him, that will happen to you. In fact, Paul says it's as good as done. For those whom God called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Glorification is the final state of Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, on the throne. He's already in glory. And Paul doesn't say that you will be glorified. He says that you are are glorified. So your holiness is already settled. It's as good as done. Simply by abiding 
in Christ. This is what God has promised to you because he loves you. He loves you. And his love overflows in life for you. Now hear me. Holiness is not without effort. This is not some coma Christianity that I'm talking about here. But the effort is quite specific. The effort is in knowing him who is holy. The effort is in loving him who is holy. The effort is submitting to him. It's abiding in him like branches in the vine because he is our sanctification. Look at the Apostle Paul's logic for why you and I should live holy lives in Romans 6. All throughout Romans, Peter is, sorry, Paul is having this imaginary argument with, well, a real argument with an imaginary debater, an interlocutor. And he's having this conversation, and he gets to the point where it's like, well, if grace is so good, why do we not just all sin some more so that grace can be shown to be even more awesome? And that's how a lot of people think that they should respond to grace. It's like, wow, grace is so good, so I can just go on sinning, and God will be gracious. And Paul says, no, that's not the case. But he doesn't say it's not the case for the reason that most of us would say it's not the case. He says in Romans 6, beginning in verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. And if we were to fill in the rest of Paul's logic there, we would say something along the lines of by no means. Don't you know that we owe God a morally upstanding life to say thank you for everything he's done for us? But that's not what Paul says. He says by no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Well, Paul, how did I die to sin? Well, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What's Paul doing? He is, he is calling you to holiness, not on the basis of God forgiving you. He goes a step further. He calls you to holiness on the basis that you've been joined to Jesus. That you died and were resurrected with him. And that when you died, your sin nature died in those waters too. And you've now been raised to what Paul calls newness of life. And that newness of life is your holiness. So that you are holy. You're still being made holy. You'll still sin this week. Don't worry. But as, <laughs> but as far as God is concerned, in, in the Son, you have been made holy. And you're now learning to walk in that newness of life. So there is progress. But the progress isn't in paying back a debt of gratitude. The progress is in our union with him. It's our daily submitting to him. Because all of Jesus' benefits, all of God's benefits to us are in Jesus Christ. They're, they're, not, they're not individual packages that God gives you so that you start your Christianity forgiven and, and then eventually God's going to give you this gift of holiness that you then unwrap and then try to figure out how does that work. No. In him, you have been declared righteous. You have been made holy. You have been redeemed. These are all of, every promise of God is yes and amen, in Christ Jesus, the scriptures say. So they're not individually wrapped gifts that Jesus hands you independently of himself. Everything that God desires for you and everything that God requires of you is in Jesus. 
And apart from this understanding, God's saving benefits to us, being in Christ, apart from that, we can only ever view salvation as an individualistic experience. Because it's God handing us presents that we then unwrap and do our best to take care of and try not to lose. But we receive salvation by being joined to Jesus, then our experience is quite a bit different. Because when I understand that all of God's saving benefits are given to me by abiding in Christ, guess what I discover? That I'm not abiding in him alone. That I abide in Christ with the church. And even true, more true, even as true, let me start that sentence over. And just as true as that, is that Christ is abiding in his church. So it's not just that the church is abiding in him, he is abiding in her. And this is ridiculously good news because now my submission to Christ, now my abiding in Christ can go from something that is merely metaphysical. It's just about, you know, me and my prayer life. And it can become something really concrete. Because I can see you, I can touch you, I can feel you. And submitting to you is something that is really costly. And that's how Christ has designed his church. That you and I would understand that holiness is in him, which means that holiness is in the church. Look at John 17, 22 and 23. I have given them, the disciples, the glory that you gave me. The glory here is in anticipating the Holy Spirit. That they may be one as we, the Father and the Son, are one. How does that work? I in them. And you, Father, in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. The, the unity that the Father and the Son enjoy in the Holy Spirit is the unity that you and I are brought into by being in Christ and Christ being in us. Now, Psalm 133 is very clear that the unity of God's people is good and pleasant. Why? Because there the Lord has commanded the blessing of life forevermore of fruitfulness forevermore. So that when we are unified, when we are brought into the life of God through the Son, and we're participating in His unity, participating in, in His holiness, that's where the life comes from. That's where life transformation comes from. By you and I submitting to Him. And the way that we submit to Him is that we recognize that he is, He's in His church. And so it's actually in relationship with one another that you and I begin to grow in holiness. And this will only ever be realized when we believe the truth that this life-giving union with one another isn't an optional thing for Christians. It comes part and parcel with being in Christ. Just as you cannot be a believer without being a disciple. Just as you cannot be justified without being sanctified. We make up these, these false partitions in our Christianity. They're just not biblical. In the same way, you can't be in Christ and not be in his church. How can you be in Christ and not be in his church when Christ is in his church? And if holiness is in Christ, then I want to be in Christ. If Christ is in the church, then I want to be in the church. Christ and his choice are as joined, and his church are as joined together as my head is to my body. As a bride is to her groom. But in the same way that we think of salvation as some gift that Jesus gives us independently of himself, so also we think of the church as existing independently of Jesus. 
lot like the church is just like a collecting a collective of people who gather together to sing some songs about him and commemorate him and we have this bifurcation of Jesus and his bride like they're two separate entities but they're not they've been joined together when we make that mistake the church just becomes something that's like another gift that we open up at our leisure and when it's not shiny anymore we put it aside without realizing that you can't put her aside without putting him aside Ephesians 1 22 and 23 God placed all things under his feet appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way the church is the body of Christ not a metaphor it's a reality and we are not adequately stunned by that statement we hear the phrase that the church is the body of Christ and we just think that it's a metaphor to describe our relationship with one another like we're kind of connected the way that my finger is to my hand and I guess that means that we should like each other the Bible is quite a bit deeper than that the church is the body of Christ we are members of his body Ephesians 5 for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh this is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ and the church we look at that verse and we think it's a verse about marriage as though Jesus and his church is some picture of a man and his wife it's the other way around it's that a man and his wife are a picture of Jesus and his church that the unity we see in a healthy marriage is equivalent to the unity that exists between Jesus and the church John Calvin says it like this this is a stunning statement that this is the highest honor of the church that until he is united to us the son of God reckons himself in some measure imperfect what consolation is it for us to learn that not until we are along with him does he possess all his parts or wish to be regarded as complete I'm just curious that if Christ counts himself incomplete without his church how is it that so many Christians so easily count themselves complete without his church James 5.16 says confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed and I along with lots and lots of evangelical leaders I think have underinterpreted that verse to be the equivalent of, of the power of accountability. That if I confess to him, I'm forgiven, but if I confess to you, I'm healed because now all of a sudden you know my secret so you can hold me accountable. And sure, there's power and accountability that's got to be layered in there, but it's quite a bit deeper than that. That verse is not just about how you can hold me accountable for overcoming my sin. Now what's present in that verse is the unification of Jesus with his bride. So that when the church fulfills its commission which Jesus gave it to forgive sin, those are the keys that Jesus gave to Peter. That what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's talking about forgiveness. So that when I forgive you, you are experiencing the concrete reality of being forgiven by Christ and in the forgiveness of Christ is a joining to him and in joining to him is my holiness and my sanctification Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that Christ became our brother to help us and now our brother is Christ for us 
to carry out that authority, that power, that commission of forgiveness. And when we see what the church really is, the mystical reality of the joining of Jesus and his bride, that Christ really is the life of the church, something like prioritizing a Sunday service, I mean, that's just obvious. The reason we have to beg people to come to church in 2023 is because we don't know what the church is. If we knew what she was, people would be banging down the door because there is hope in his body. But outside his body, there is no hope. The ancient church had a saying, no salvation outside the church. That kind of rubs us Protestants a little like, mm, I thought I was justified by faith alone. You are. But your faith is not meritorious. You are not saved by your faith. You are saved by the one to whom your faith connects you. Jesus saves you. And when you're connected to Christ you show up to that party lo and behold you're all there too and we're all in Christ and Christ is in me and he's in you so that if in him I'm holy that means that I'm experiencing him through these relationships and holiness happens and grows over the course of our lives two more verses and I'm all done Gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 18 says this is no one's ever seen God but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father he has made him known so that God is known in the face of Jesus Christ when he walked this earth those 33 years that was the presence of God in our midst now he has ascended to heaven the outpouring of his Holy Spirit has come upon his church. After decades and decades of experiencing the life of Christ in the church, that same John would go on to write in 1 John 4.12. No one's ever seen God. Starts out the same. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us what is the aim of God's love that you would be conformed to the image of his son Ephesians says it in love he predestined you for that outcome and he's doing that through the life of his son in the church this is good news because now becoming holy is I can just drop all the strife And I can go from striving to submitting. And we hate that word. But it's your only hope of holiness. Getting amongst the people of God. In whom is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of Jesus. So that through our relationship with one another. God living in us. 
That is what it largely means to carry a cross. You thought carrying a cross was about not being able to afford your rent this month. It's not. That might just be solved by managing your money a little better, but carrying your cross is, is quite a bit different. It's quite a bit deeper. It's, it's really engaging in that which is costly and painful for the sake of being conformed into his image, for the sake of receiving holiness by participating in his life. I can promise you this, that if you do that, your life will get better. It won't get easier, but your life will get better. That same dysfunction, those secrets, the lies, the false beliefs, sin, those things that plague you, you will overcome those things because that's what holiness does. If you want every nook and cranny of your life to receive the life of God, holiness is the answer. And holiness is in Christ and His church. If you want to abound in His perfect love and His joy that's victorious in the face of all defeat, if you want to overflow with His peace that is quite literally unshakable, you, you can have that. That's the result of holiness. That's life. And holiness is in Christ and in His church alone. This is the gift of God to you given in Jesus. And you can actually experience this reality. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.